Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Coming up in a minute, the big interview with Harry Redknapp. What a remarkable day we had with him down on the English Riviera. First of all, something straight from the heart. Thanks to every one of you, the hundreds of you, who've contributed to our Kickstarter campaign this week. We're almost halfway towards hitting our funding goal. If we reach it, we'll keep this podcast going. If not, then this one and the remaining couple we plan to release over the next week, they'll be the last. Go to kickstarter.com and search for Graham Hunter. You'll find a video that we made telling you more about the campaign and details of the rewards that you can get in return for helping us. You can pledge whatever you think the show is worth or, more importantly, whatever you can afford. If you do that, you'll be listening to another year of these big interview podcasts knowing you helped to keep them going. Moreover, there are some cracking rewards the phone call between me and you, we can do a big interview all about your life in football, whatever it has been. £20 can get you a hardback copy of my Spain book. Lots of you have gone for that reward, but hundreds of you have already signed up for La Fiesta, the parties for investors that we'll have in Glasgow, Aberdeen, Dublin and London. We want to see even more of you. It'll be fun. Make sure you book your places. The more you pledge, the better the rewards get. Go and look at them at kickstarter.com, search for Graham Hunter. But remember, if you have enjoyed the big interview and you keep telling me on Twitter with feedback that is so generous and so encouraging to all of us, just think if it was your project and people were saying these things to you, how you'd feel about it. We can't deny, Backpage and I, we're enjoying the socks off us, talking football to people who are interesting and fun. It's fantastic. So listen to me. Hit pause right now. Go to kickstarter.com, search for Graham Hunter and pick your award. I'll still be waiting here for you. Now that you've done that, don't you feel good? We do. But you're back to listen to Harry Redknapp. Let me tell you why I selected him. From the very first time I went down to work in England full time, probably the guy who was quickest to be warm, quickest to seek me out was Harry Redknapp. It was a coincidence because I'd always admired him. I'd been a fan of Ted McDougall. Ted McDougall played at Bournemouth, so I started to follow Harry Redknapp, whose playing career 
I'd been too young to know about, but I gradually understood that he fascinated me because he'd played amongst the elite. He'd played in that West Ham side where Bobby Moore was still king, but there was class all around him. And he played in a West Ham side that was expected to be England's academy of elegance and football with brio and football with beauty. It was supposed to be like the beating heart of English football in the time when Harry was a winger there. That always caught my attention. And the contrast between how Harry had to forge a career at lower-level football, particularly when he took over at Bournemouth, the difficulties of finding players, getting the budget right, and then knocking Manchester United out of the FA Cup, that captured my attention. And in my opinion, I'll argue firmly, that Harry Redknapp is the type of person I want to see succeeding in football. His career is drawing towards the latter stages now. And I absolutely swear that when he's gone, we'll miss him badly. I will. I find him funny. I find him passionate about football. I love the way that he's been able to put a premium on flair and ability always. He's consistently in his signings gone for footballers. And we talk about them during these two episodes because it was so long that we split this interview into two. Initially, we, we touch on his beginnings, where he began to play football, why, what it was like, and some remarkable episodes in his early football player signing career. But then we go on to talk about Cano, about Gareth Bale. De Cano obviously pops up. And I find this guy to be similar to me in terms of what value he places on ability, character, and even the bad boys in football. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed sitting down and talking soccer with Harry Redknapp. See you on the other side. Harry, I've already said before we started taping this that I'm here because this series of interviews gives me the chance to speak to people that I admire. Uh, And what I've always wanted to come out of these podcasts is my love of football and therefore speak to somebody who spent a life in football as a talented player, as a tremendous coach, as a man of achievement, um, as a director of football, as somebody who understands the game passionately, um, it's a real pleasure to speak to you. So thank you very Good. much. Good, nice to speak to you. I remember understanding and, and having read your autobiography, um, Always Managing, that you, you began to understand you were a very talented player and that clubs began to queue up to sign you and that more or less you had your pick of the top London clubs. Yeah, as a schoolboy, yeah, I played for East London Schools, Graham, and um, sort of 12 years of age, um, you know, I remember we, I played at the old Millwall, the old Den. We played, I think it was Wandsworth Boys in the final of a, a cup competition. I remember walking off the pitch at the end and going down the tunnel at, at, uh, at the old Den, and there was this very smart guy, overcoat on, looked like a million dollars. His name was... Uh, it turned out his name was, it was Dickie Walker. Dickie was a centre-half who played for West Ham for years. A fantastic, a real character. But he left when he finished playing his playing days at West Ham. He didn't get offered a job and he ended up scouting for Tottenham. So he asked me to go to, uh, would I be interested? He said, oh, he said, is your dad here tonight? And I said, yeah, my dad's here. He said, I'm Dickie Walker, Tottenham scout. I said, oh, hello. He said, can I wait after meet you with your dad? I said, yeah, sure. So I said, I can't wait to get changed. And, he goes over and introduces himself to my dad and invites us down to Tottenham to meet the great Bill Nicholson, who was, you know, I mean, Tottenham were a fantastic team. And, uh, 
So we go down, we get on the bus, get on the train, me and my dad, and Dickie meets us at White Hart Lane Station and takes us down to the ground, and we meet the great Bill Nick, and uh, he said to me, hello, son, he said, Dickie tells me you play wide right. I said, yeah. He said, uh, do you score goals? I said, not really, Mr Nicholson. He said, well, I only know one good wide right player who didn't score goals, and that was Stanley Matthews. He said, I don't think you're going to be as good as him, are you? I said, I don't think so, Mr Nicholson. He was right. And that was Bill Nick. He was a man of few words, you know, but I spent the first couple of years training at Tottenham and used to go there during the school holidays, Tuesday and Thursday night. But during the school holidays, um, I'd go there and spend six weeks there training with the kids and we'd be able to see Dave Mackay, John White, Danny Blanchflower, all the great players. They'd be, and it was fantastic, you know. You mentioned a name there that I grew up hearing about all the time. People who hear my accent might think it's Dave Mackay, but... Everybody who I ever listened to, and I never saw him play on television mm. because he died young, was John White. John White, fantastic. People said he was an outstanding footballer. John White was an amazing player. He, he married Harry Evans, his daughter. Harry Evans was the assistant manager of Tottenham, was a lovely man. And John White came from Falkirk, was in the army, I think, and joined, uh, he was at Falkirk and signed for Tottenham. He was amazing. And during the breaks, during the, uh, when I used to go there as a kid and train, Dave Mackay, they'd say, John, show us a few tricks. And we'd all sit around, all us kids, and we'd be sitting there having that, after having that little bit of dinner, you know. And, the, and John White would get the ball out. He could do anything with it. He, he was a magician with a football. But even just juggling with a ball, he, he could make the, he was a master of the football. But his passing when he played, he just, he glided around the pitch. He seemed to skim over the surface somehow, you know. And Harry Evans gave me a pair of John's boots. John White's boots and um, the silliest thing I've ever done there was a boy at school you know when we played he didn't have any boots at one time and I let him have a, the boots he want, I wanted him to play in the school team and anyway I never saw the boots again but they were John's boots and um, he was he was an amazing footballer. People have said that as much as he was an amazing footballer he was also a charmer he, he, he had mm. a certain reputation of being attractive to ladies and, yeah. and living well off the pitch but that was kind of yeah. I didn't. I, that I was life in them days. Yeah, it? I didn't know that. I wouldn't wouldn't have known that, Graham. I know you say. I know you married Harry Evans's daughter. The whole Tottenham team. That that Tottenham team. Of, you know, I would think Dave Mackay was probably the best player ever to play for Tottenham. That seems to be ever ever. I would think he's the best ever Tottenham player. Tell me why. Dave Mackay had everything. He was incredible, in, in, unbelievable competitor. Could play. Could pass it would go through a brick wall. I still think the best picture probably in, you've ever seen is the one with him and Billy Bremner, where he's lifting Billy up and Billy's looking at him. And Billy Bremner was a great player as well. But Dave Mackay's got Billy Bremner off the floor, lifting him up by his shirt, you know. Dave was a colossus. He was, he was like two men. I used to go and watch the European games in them days as a kid at White Hart Lane. And Dave Mackay would just go through tackles, he did passes, he did shots, he could do everything. He was just incredible. This isn't a direct comparison, but the other guy um, who stands out in descriptions like that that I never saw was Duncan Edwards. That, that when people yeah. speak about this extraordinary ability to do everything on the pitch, to be quicker, um, to lead, to win the ball, to use mm. the ball, are there any comparisons there? They would be very similar. I mean, I saw Duncan Edwards' last game. His last game was in England. His last game was uh, at Arsenal for Man United. I was 10 and I was there, it went with my dad and uh, they beat Arsenal 5-4 that day. It was an incredible game. 
And Duncan Edwards was just, I mean, if you read Bobby Charlton's book, he said he thought he could, Bobby Charlton was another great player. Bobby Charlton said, I thought I could play until I saw Duncan. He was that good. He was on another level to anybody else. When you think he was 18, 19 in the full England team. He used to play in midfield. He could play at the back. He could just do everything, you know. He'd, he'd have been a very similar type to Dave Mackay. In your time as a football admirer, football player, football coach, have you seen other players in Britain or around the world who compared to those two in the stature? In, in terms of what you're saying, they made your jaw drop, they made Bobby Charlton's jaw drop with overall ability, presence, skill, goals, leadership. Are, are we talking about players like Matthias Sammer or Franz Beckenbauer or who are we talking yeah, about? I think, yeah, you're talking about great, the great players. I mean, now what Duncan Edwards would have achieved, no one would ever know, you know, because obviously he never had time to. He'd have gone on, obviously, to 100 caps for England, I'm sure of that. He was already the best player in the team at 18, 19. So he would have just gone on for the next amount of years and played for England. But he wasn't the only one in that team. There was, it was a team full of young, fantastic young players, Coleman, Roger Byrne, Tommy Taylor. They were just an incredible, uh, the Busby Babes were an incredible team that got wiped out, obviously. But um, yeah, he'd, he'd have been up there with the best, Dave, I mean, Dave Mackay, I mean, he, even at the end of his career, he goes to Derby County and win, they win a championship. I mean, he was, you know, he went and played at the back. Cluffy took him and played at the back in that team. No, he was an amazing player and Spurs have had some great players. I mean, you know, when I say I think he's the best player ever, you've got Gareth Bell, you've got Glenn Oddle, you've got these people, you know, there's been some great players. But I think when you win Greaves, he says that Mackay was the best player ever. I think you've got to listen to Jimmy as well. Jimmy um, has unfortunately been unwell recently and is another in the line of players who I think aren't probably rewarded or loved by the clubs that they served so well once they get older. And I think that, before I come back to Jimmy, because I want to ask you about a comparison between Jimmy Greaves' finishing and the way that Leo Messi finishes, not identical footballers, but yeah. that extraordinary ability to put the ball where they want, where the goalkeeper doesn't want it to go. There's another guy who I know you passionately felt was let down by his club in Bobby Moore, mm. and that you often, in later years, found Bobby having difficulty getting into West Ham to do mm. his job as a journalist. That yeah, he, yeah. He wasn't properly looked after. For those people who don't know that story or don't know about how great Bobby was and, and then maybe how poorly West Ham treated him up. Yeah, oh, yeah, explain yeah. Explain that a little bit. Yeah, no, I mean, Bobby was, you know, I was a great friends with Bob and, um, you know, I remember going, I just went back to West Ham to watch a game. I was out in America playing. I came back home and, um, and Bobby was at the game. I can't remember exactly who they played that day. I think it, it, was, a, it was a championship game. Or, or in them days, it was a second division, as it was known. So there wasn't a, a full house there. It was 20-odd thousand. The stadium held 40. And uh, I came in and sat down. And I went and sat, actually went and sat next to Frank Lampard Jr.'s grandmother, or Frank Lampard Sr.'s mum. And Frank Senior was playing for West Ham that day, and I went and sat next to her. And suddenly, I heard behind me, I heard a voice, you know, Harry. I looked up about 15 minutes into the game. I looked around. It was Bobby. Load of empty seats everywhere. We were up in the in the cheap seats, really, sitting out the way. And there was Bobby behind. So I said, "I see you half time for a cup of tea." And suddenly, about 10 minutes later, I can hear people looking round, and there's a steward has come over, and he said, "I'm terribly sorry, Bobby. It's not me," he said, "but I've been told that." Um, you're not allowed in without a ticket. 
And Bobby said, oh, okay. Because Bobby used to come in and he'd turn up 10 minutes after kickoff and there was a little gate there and he'd come in and just go and sit up in the back, in just the corner. Quietly, without quietly, be... sit in the back row, of the, sit in the, in the cheap, up by the corner almost, you know, the block that was always at, uh, only half full. And he sat there and, um, and suddenly the steward says, well, you're not allowed him without a ticket. And, and Bobby left and uh, half time and uh, he never went back again to West Ham. I thought, you know, but he should have been sitting in the front row of the director's box. He should have been a director to start with, if that had any sense. He'd have been the greatest ambassador the football club could ever have had. He's the greatest player that's ever played for the club, the captain of the club, World Cup winning captain. They could have used him. What, what an ambassador when they were trying to sign young kids to take him along and... Like Beckenbauer did at Bayern Munich for years or whatever, and like Bobby Cholton's an ambassador at Man United, Bobby should have been used at West Ham in the, in the correct way and treated with the respect that he, he deserved. As I've said to you, we're both here because of your talent and achievements and because of my love for football. And you love it despite sometimes its ugliness. Have you ever found an explanation about why it is a great like Bobby and repeatedly other greats seem sometimes to be forgotten or underappreciated, yeah. particularly when they need it most in life? I think they're not wanted, in lots of cases, Graham, I think they're not wanted by the new, new people coming to the club. You often see them take pictures down off the wall of ex-players or ex-managers. It's like, oh, they don't want to know about the past. This is just, we are now. And you find that in a lot of clubs. I've found it over the years. There's lots of clubs that are great to the ex-players and still, you know, make them welcome. Everton have got a fantastic Bill Kenwright there, you know, the old players. If any of them need a, you know, I'm good friends with Dave Thomas, or if they need a hip replacement or they need, they have functions, they have dinners and they'll pay for that and they'll get them private health care, you know, if they can't afford to get it done and they look after the old players. There's lots of clubs don't want to know the old players. They're not, they're, they're not welcome. It's amazing, but that, that's how it is, unfortunately. One of the things that um, I've always admired about you and got brought out a lot in the book was that you have a fabulous eye for a footballer. Not just necessarily a youth footballer or a raw footballer, but you're always willing to put a premium on ability above what other people might say. Uh, an example that I'll go to immediately is, is putting your faith in Paulo Di Canio, you know, a maverick mm. character who's mm. been banned for pushing over a referee, but for you, the talent was the important thing, which I think, I mean, there's multiple examples, but I think we could talk about, you know, building a team with Cano and Merson and mm. winning trophies there. Tell me about your appreciation, like starting with Paolo, what made you make the decision, or, and, and what in general makes you think, I'll put talent ahead of whatever anybody else tells me? About? Well, I just think, you know, he was a special player, you know, and I used to watch him play at Sheffield Wednesday, I watched him at Celtic, and I just felt I've never seen, when he was at Celtic, he was like a little kid in the playground. They get, he, he was taking corners, throw-ins, whoever the boy, he wanted to do everything. He just wanted to win. And um, so when the opportunity came to bring it to West Ham, it was too good to miss. And, uh, and people at the time wrote that I was walking a tightrope without a safety net under me by signing De Canio. And, you know, people, newspaper men said it was, a, you know, what a, what a chance I was taking. He was going to, you know, finish me and... But he was fantastic. He, he was amazing. The fans at West Ham absolutely loved him. There was up days, there was down days with him. He wasn't always easy to manage, but um, I mean, I look back, I laugh at this. We had some great times. Yeah, but you look back at it now because it was a mm. success. And he scored the all-time goal of the Premier League mm. there. He raised expectations at the crowd. He, I think in the training field, he showed what a good pro he was. Mm. But it's in the moment of taking the risk that I think some of your 
talents shine out that you will say, I'm willing to back talent and creativity over potential risk. Yeah, but I think you have to, Graham Sutton. I watched your game last night on TV. I'm watching Aston Villa play Birmingham. The first half was dire. It was dire. It was, I'm watching it. I'm thinking, look at this. Suddenly they bring a kid on Grealish. And this kid is floating over the pitch. He's beating players. He's doing drag backs. He's playing passes. He just lit the game up. But then suddenly you sit and think, I'm watching this kid. I thought, what a talent. Whether he'll go on to be what he should be, but... My God, he just changed the whole football match when he walked onto the pitch. It was amazing to watch. I love people that can play. We can go over the park on Sunday and watch a load of blokes running around, tackling, <laughs> kick, booting the ball up the pitch and chasing it. You know, I want to see someone who can do something. That you, people, people want to see people do stuff that they can't. You know, where are the great wingers? Where's the Jimmy Johnsons? Where's the Wee Willie Andersons? Where's the Davey Coopers? you know, that used to come down in Scotland, you know, played in Scotland. Where's the, the great dribblers? Where are they gone? People now, one against one. How many people can beat anybody? That's why you put it... When you watch Messi play, it's just, it's just incredible to watch. He does things that you just... You know, it's just incredible. And I love watching people that can do stuff, that, that can beat people, that can dribble and do something that the average man in the street or the average Sunday morning player can't do. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I feel that, that 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 change, I think, began in the middle 70s as you were moving from being a successful player at West Ham, a winger, to into management. The ones I admired who got me excited at the time were 
players like Duncan McKenzie, Peter Barnes, Frank mm. Worthington. Alan Hudson was a different style of player. Yeah, he was a fantastic player. But they were being ignored then, Harry. I know. Even then. Tony Curry. Tony Curry. Alan Hudson. So, Peter Osgood. They should, how many caps should they have had, really? You know, fantastic players. Gunter Netzer, you know, who plays for Germany. You see Tony Curry play, you see Hudson play. You know, they're up there. They're as good. As good. What is it in, in the British nature, the English nature, given that you named half a dozen brilliant Scottish wingers there, and Charlie Cook, I want to throw cool, in Cool, Charlie Cook, fantastic. Aberdeen legend. Fantastic dribbler. A legend. Incredible. Roll the ball to your people, got to swipe it away and drag it back and drift away with it, you know. Got changed at Chelsea on his first day, keeping the ball up the whole time. Uh, he could change it out of his clothes and it just kept, just to say, Char- Char- Charlie's, Charlie, Charlie's yeah, here. What, what is it in our English character then that started to squeeze those talented players out by not picking them for England, by not developing oh, yeah, footballers yeah. like them. And any clue why, why you, when you well, were coaching, goal... I think coaching, we suddenly became very functional, didn't we? You know, I used to go on managers courses at that time and teams like Wimbledon were being successful mm. and, you know, and Watford were being successful. And suddenly, you know, when you went there and Charles Hughes would be talking and he would talk about the Pomo ball and goals were scored by three passes or less or, you know, whatever. It suddenly became a game that it was a long ball game. Suddenly, you know, you're going to keep, keep getting it, whacking out. People that wanted to play and could play were being... I could imagine Messi in them days turning up at a football club, having coaches look at him and they didn't know, and they go... No, nah, he's got no chance. Look at the chance he got, you know, little skinny thing, little feet like, you know. And then he'd have probably beat about four, but then he'd have gone, nah, he couldn't do it. Yeah, tried doing that up, up somewhere up north on a cold, wet night. You know, that was the, that was the attitude, wasn't it? I had Robert Prozanecki and I had a coach uh, at Portsmouth saying, lazy, look at it. So I watched him play. I'd have paid. It was just incredible to watch the man play. He was a genius. Yet... There's people at the club didn't have any time for him, basically. Robert was a joy to watch, and he, would, he was a bit scruffy, and he would oh, nick about with a cigarette hanging out of his, his mouth. mouth whatever, God, what was, a player. But handicapped, but he could play. Play. So when you sit and talk to me about having to listen yeah. to the Pomo merchants mm. and, and watch it become fashionable, did that enrage you? Did, how did you... Cause it, that's no, not I you... kept trying to play. My first managerial job, the first success I had, really, was at Bournemouth. You know, at Bournemouth, we won the third... Bournemouth had never been out at that time, never been out the third or fourth division. They'd never got into the second division or the first division as it was then. Now, now the Premier or Championship, as it is now called. So they, in hundred and odd years of their history, they'd never been at the bottom two divisions, third or fourth division. When I was here, we, you know, I came here with David Webb, we got out the fourth division, and then we didn't have much of a team. We had no, we were struggling. But I ended up putting a team together, and I played with two out and out, two wingers, home and away, two little wingers, a little boy called Richard Cook, and a little left winger called Mark O'Connor, who works with Tony Pulis. He's been everywhere with Tony, wherever Tony's been, he's been on his coaching staff. But they were that big, the pair of them. And I played with two strike, I played 4 4 2 home and away. And we absolutely smashed the league up, you know. But we played. We passed the ball, we murdered teams and we ripped the t- division to pieces, you know, by playing, playing football. People always said, you can't, you can't play your way out that division. Well, we did, you know. We absolutely played from start to finish and we, we, we were great. I, I go and watch Bournemouth now. I love watching them play, Graham. The football is incredible. 
It's unbelievable. The last year and the year before in Division One and then the championship, the football they played was, was mind-blowing. Eddie played for you, didn't he? Eddie, Eddie played. I signed Eddie as a player. I took him to Portsmouth. Eddie was a real good player. Read the game, played at the back. He'd have been without... There was only one Bobby Moore and Eddie wasn't Bobby Moore because... Eddie could, he read the game. He was only five foot ten, five eleven, maximum centre half. But he just read the game, pass it, drop off, read it, people flicking balls on. Eddie was always in the right position, not great pace, a really good footballer, really good, intelligent player. One of the things about, um, about being clever about signing players is being alert to opportunities. And I was stunned because you built a Bournemouth side that not only got promoted, but not Manchester United out of the cup. Mm. Which was I remember was earth shattering. Yeah, yeah, time. yeah. That was yeah. That was the year before. Actually, we built a decent team. That team, every player in that team actually, I think, got a free transfer at the end of the year. But for some reason, on that day, we turned in an amazing performance. But um, the following year was when we built a team that actually got us out of the league. A just, new team. Just recall to me then that one of the stories which shocked me most in the book was about Mark Newson. Mark Newson, and yeah. And benching him from under the nose of Barry Fry. Yeah, yeah. They got quite annoyed about it. Yeah, yeah, Barry did. My, my chief scout at Bournemouth at the time was a, a boy called Stuart Morgan. He knew that non-league better than anybody. When he was, a, he was an ex-manager of Weymouth and Dorchester, and when he was manager of Weymouth, he signed people like Graham Roberts, Tony Agana, Neil, uh, Andy Townsend, Sean Till, all went on to play in, you know, obviously in the top division, all really... He had a great eye for a player, Stuart, and he worked for me at Bournemouth as, uh, as my chief scout. And he came to me one day, he said, Harry, is a boy at Maidstone. He said, Mark Newson. He said, he's different class. Absolutely different class. He said, he should be playing way higher, playing non-league football. I said, well, what's the situation with him? He said, well, I, I don't know. I think he'd probably be about 40 grand. I don't know if we can afford it, but I'm telling you, he'd be a real good buy, you know? We might get him for a bit less. Anyway, a couple of days later, Stuart comes in and he says, oh, I can't believe it. I said, what's happened? He says, he's gone to Tottenham. Mark Newson, the boy from Maidstone. Because we was on it then trying to do something. You know, I said, look, I'll go and watch him next Tuesday. He had a game or something the following week. And we would get, I said, we'll go and watch him at Maidstone or wherever. I said, I'll come and have a look at him. He said, it's too late, he's gone to Tottenham. Anyway, come he said, no, he's only gone for a week. They took him for a week on a week's trial. Right, he says, he's playing tomorrow against, in Tottenham's reserves. He said, they won't let you in, your manager, they won't let you in. He said, but I'll get in. He said, it's behind closed doors thing. He said, but they, they're letting a few, just some scouts in. And, but I don't think they'll have managers there. But he said, I'll go, I'll go and watch the game. Anyway, he came back. He said, he was the best player on the pitch. He said, they've got no chance. He said, Tottenham will buy him. He said, he was, the, he was different class. Anyway, that night I get a phone call from a fellow called Bill Williams. Bill was an ex-centre half for Gillingham who went to America. And when I was out in America, Bill was at a club that, uh, that folded up and we did him a favour, Bill, and we helped his club out a little bit and one thing or another when I was at Seattle. Anyway, Bill rings me up. He's the secretary of Maidstone. So he says, Harry, he said, hello, Bill. I said, how are you doing? He'd been, you know, played at the same time as me, big centre-half. He said, all right. He said, are you after Mark Newson? I said, yeah, but it looks like he's going to Tottenham, didn't it? I said, he's been, been at Spurs yesterday or today and played well in their reserves. He said, I'm just marking your card. He said, he's not on a contract. He said, he's a, his contract is in the drawer. He said, he's on the dole. So um, he says, he's an on-contract player. He can go anywhere. He said, he's not registered. He just, he's on like a week to week, you know. I said, you sure? He said, yeah. Anyway, look, 
here's his phone number. If you want to give him a ring, he said, you might be able to do something. He said, but don't do anything till tomorrow morning. He said, because I'm going to South Africa to live with my daughter. If they find out Barry Fry, he said, they'll shoot me. They'll, he said, they'll be round. He said, oh, my life will be misery. He said, don't. So give me time. To wait till I get on the plane to South Africa. He said, but don't tell him anyway who's told you. I said, no, don't worry, Bill. So next day, I ring Mark Newson up. Or that night, sorry, I ring him. Late at night. Mark, I said, look, you know, well, he said, I'm at Tottenham, Harry. You know, he said, I think they might sign me. I said, look, just come down and have a chat with me. He said, well, we've got a day off tomorrow. He said, because we had a reserve game this morning. I played at Tottenham. He said, I'll be off tomorrow. So I said, well, jump on the train. We'll pay your fare. Come and talk to us. So he jumped on the train, come down. Remember, we took him to a little Italian restaurant. I said, look, Mark. He said, but Tottenham, I think Tottenham are going to take me, Harry. You know, I said, but look, you're, you ain't going to play there, Mark. I said, you're going to come here and play. You, you ain't got a job. You, you, you're on the dole. You need to work. Come here and play for me. I said, we'll give you 200 quid a week or whatever it was at the time. Anyway. I wouldn't let him go till he signed, so in the end he agreed he's going to sign. He, he, didn't, he didn't ask about the fee or anything, he agreed to sign. So I ring, is that doing your recording in? Oh, I'll lock him in, Lev Newson. It's maybe me. Um, so, so I signed Mark Newson and um, so I've got to ring Barry Fry now to give him the good news, right? So I ring Mr Young first of all at, at the FA and I said, Mr Young, I said, uh, have you got a Mark Newson registered from Maidstone? No, Harry, he said no, Mark Newson, no. He said, no, he's not on a contract. I said, what does that mean? He said, well, it means he's not on a contract. He said, he's a, he's, don't belong to, he's free. At this time of year, he can sign for anybody. He said, he, he's a free agent. Okay, thank you very much. Just to, I just wanted to confirm it, you know. So anyway, we signed Mark. I ring Barry up. Barry, I said, uh, is Harry Redknapp? Hello, AJ, how are you going, son? He said, all right, going all right. I said, yeah, going all right, Barry. I said, listen, I've just signed Mark Newsom. He said, no, I know you've been interested. He said, but he's going to Tottenham. He said, to be 200 grand, he said, and plus some add-ons, you know, on appearances and that. I said, no, I've signed him. He said, what do you mean, you've signed him? How can you sign him? We ain't agreed a fee and we're going to get 200 grand from Tottenham up front. I said, no, but I've signed him. I said, he was a free agent, so he now belongs to Bournemouth. I said, he wasn't on a contract, Barry. I said, so should have had him on a contract, really. He said, you bastard. He said, me. <laughs> he said I'll tell you now, Redknapp. He said, you've had it. I went, unlucky, Barry. I said, you should have had him on a contract. Put the phone down. <laughs> Five minutes later, the phone goes. It's his chairman. What was his name? Oh, chairman. Of, he was also the chairman of the league, of the Vauxhall Conference. Anyway, he rings up. Jim, suddenly, anyway, the guy rings me up. Harry said, he said, I'm so sorry that Barry has spoke to you like that. I really do apologise. We don't do things like that at Maidstone United Football Club. He said, he's out of order and please accept my apologies. He said, but look, OK, we made a mistake. You're being very clever. He said, but uh, let's come to a gentleman's agreement here and let's sort of fear up now and let's all, you know, get it sorted. I said, I'm sorry, Jim, there is no fee. I said, he was on, uh, wasn't on a contract and, and we've signed him. He said, you dirty bastard, he said to me. And he started saying he was worse than Barry, <laughs> what he was going to do to me. I went, sorry, Jim, unlucky, you should have had him on a contract, put the phone down. <laughs> Next day, there's three of them. I'm in the office, me and Brian Tyler. Brian was my 
pal, Brian, got killed in 1990 when we was out in the World Cup in Italy. I was in accident with him, but Brian was a chief executive. He was the ex-captain of Aston Villa. He was a great fella. So me and Brian's in, suddenly the secretary's hurried. His three fellas just turned up from Maidstone United. I said, no, really? She said, yeah. Barry Fry, the chairman, is another great big bloke with him. Right, they brought some big geezer with them. Me and Bryce shot across the pitch. <laughs> out of the other. I said, get our cars, Let's get someone to drive our car around the other way. About three o'clock in the afternoon it was, me and Brian, they drove the car around and we legged it away, me and Brian, left them roasting. People don't know the perils of sailing oh, cleverly, do they? The risks that you yeah. take. So that was that one. Anyway, he played from, came and played. He was my captain. Uh, when we won the league that year, and uh, we ended up selling to Fulham, I think, for three hundred thousand pounds or something. About four years later, you consistently do this because you pick players who you think are going to be good for the team, but entertain, entertain the fans, who'll help you win, and who you then go on and make a, your club mm. a profit on. Yeah, Crouchy would be an example, wouldn't he? Yeah, Crouchy was. Yeah, we bought Crouchy. It's, yeah, <laughs> Crouchy. Yeah, when he came to Portsmouth, but uh, Crouchy was a good signing, but. I mean, I've had some funny ones over the years. You know, I took a boy called Cole Richards from non-league, from Enfield. Uh, he was playing for the England non-league team against Wales at Nuneaton. So it was bank holiday Monday and Sandra said to me, it's a lovely day. She said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Nuneaton. She said, oh, it's a lovely day. What are you going to go there for? I said, I'm looking at a player there and up front he played. Anyway, he could run and he powerful boy. After the game, I'm waiting by, they've got a little thing after the England and Welsh teams are going into this little hut for like, obviously, you know, have a few speeches and a cake, bit of sandwich and a cup of tea and give out some trophies or whatever. I'm hiding behind this shed, right, on the manager of Bournemouth. I'm waiting for this Cole Richards. Now, he's at Enfield, he's on a contract. He ain't non, he ain't non, he is on a contract. I'm waiting. Suddenly, I see, he comes along. Cole, Cole. He looked at me, he was about six foot three, right? Looked like Cole Lewis, sprint, a great big lad. He went, what? I said, have you got a minute? He went, what do you want? So he comes over, he's got the walk on him, you know. What do you want? I said, I'm Harry Redknapp, manager of Bournemouth. He went, Bournemouth? I said, I've never heard of you, never heard of them. He went, what, what league you in? I said, uh, Division Two. A uh, Division Three. It's third division, Division Three. He said, what, in the Ishmian? I went, no, football league. He said, I've never heard of Bournemouth. I went, anyway, I said, well, we are in the league, Cole. He said, are you, are you full-time professionals? I said, yeah. He said, I've always wanted to be a full-time professional. <laughs> I, can, I went, well, that's, that's what we are. That's what we are. I said, I'm interested in buying you. He said, yeah, I'd like, like that. Sorry, I better go and see what there's someone out there. They've been barking, barking. <laughs> I'm telling you, they've detected there's a Scotsman in the house. So I end up, end up signing, uh, anyway, I go down to Enfield on the Monday to speak to Eddie McCluskey, the manager, 10 grand, we're going to pay for Cole. I get there and he's with a mate of his who played in the same team. So Eddie McCluskey calls Carl in to talk to him. He's just got his mate, his best pal, who's another striker. When he goes in, his mate says, I mean, you're signing the wrong man, Harry. So I'm 10 times better than him. He said, I've scored 26 goals this year. He's only got 14. I, went, I, really, I thought, oh, what have I done? Above you? I've got the wrong man. <laughs> anyway, we ended up signing Cole, but he came down pre-season. He had the worst five games I've ever seen pre-season in, ever. And he knocks on my door and he says, you've done me up on my contract, Harry. I said, why? 
He said, well, you told me I was getting £200 a week. He said, I've only got one thirty or whatever. I said, well, that's income tax, Cole. He looked at me. <laughs> he said, well, you didn't tell me about the, this income tax. I went, well, everybody pays income tax, Cole. It's the law of the land. He went, I've never paid it before. I said, well, where you been working? He said, well, I said, what did you do for a living? Well, I never had a job. But since, he's 27. I said, well, since you left school, you never had a job? No, he said, but I worked with my mate one week. He said, I'd done a bit of paint and decorate, and he gave me £100 in cash. He said, I've never, I don't know anything about this income tax. Eventually, we get sorted out, and uh, he'd he done great for me, and I ended up selling it to Birmingham for £80,000. £85,000, we give 10 grand, and he, he, was, he was great. He probably thinks income tax only exists in Bournemouth. Yeah. And, and his, his mate, Harry? I, I don't know. I say sympathetically. His mate, I know his mate, no, he never made it. I think he went back, he was an army boy, actually. I think he got called up again somewhere and disappeared at the, wherever the British army were at the time. And Carl, did Carl recommend... Yeah. Ian Wright? Yeah, he? yeah. Because after about five games, Cole came to me and said, and he was so bad, it was, he, he, I've never seen anything like it. Pre-season, we won the league that year. We got beat at Weymouth, Dorchester, Bath and Yeovil. And then he says, that we're playing Crystal. He went to me, come on, mate, have a trial. I said, where does he play, Cole? He said, he's a striker, same as me. I said, is, is he better than you, Cole? He said, no, he's not as good as me. I said, well, tell him not to effing bother. And that was it. On the Saturday, the following Saturday, we went to Crystal Palace and he went, my mate's playing today, the one I told you about, wanted a trial. I said, what, for Palace? He said, yeah. I said, well, we won't have to worry about him too much then, will we? And after he got his third goal, I realised Ian Wright was better than Carl. <laughs> and yeah. I couldn't tell you what I said to Carl after the game. <laughs> yeah, I was, well, but I, I asked that with sympathy because it's a shark-infested game trying to pick a player. And mm. that's why I was expressing my adm admiration because you, you look for talent, you take risks, and you're going to win or lose. You, you can't oh, win yeah. all the time. No, of course not. I used to travel everywhere. In them days when I was at Bournemouth, Graham, I mean, you know, every night I would get in that car, and I had a little old car, uh, but I would slap everywhere. You know, I remember going down to watch Tony Pulis play. I'm going to sign, is it Newport County? and getting all the way down there, rained all the way. I thought, is the game on, is it off? It was games getting called off everywhere. The roads were flooded. And I finally get there, 20 past seven, and I walk in this little hut and have a cup of tea with the other scouts. And who's sitting in there is Tony Pulis having a cup of tea. I've gone all the way to watch him. So I end up, anyway, I end up tapping him up instead, you know. And so I said, would you be interested in coming to Bournemouth? He said, yeah, I'd love to, you know. I got, took him out on a free. They wanted to get rid of him. I don't think the manager wanted him out. Colin, I think it might have been Colin Addison at the time or someone. Colin, they, they wanted to get rid of him, so I took him on a free. But I was every night I was somewhere watching games. You'd be proud of maybe David Moyes in that case because it was one of the things that David, I think, did it ever successfully. He's doing it in Spain mm. at the moment. The more work you put in, even mm. if you're driving overnight, you work harder than the next yeah, guy yeah. and you spot the right talent, don't yeah, you? The more oh, yeah. work you put in, the the luckier you're getting signed. Yeah, right? oh yeah. It must be hard for David over there, I suppose. You know, getting to know them, everybody is, is, is a new start, isn't it? I know, I know. When we're talking about football, you thought Harry and I would never stop. But... We're breaking at that point because 
It was a long interview and there's a lot more to come. We're going to come back talking about his time at Portsmouth. We're going to talk about karaoke because that always crops up. The Canyo again, um, Bale, Canoe. We're going to have fun. If you heard a little bit of background noise there, that was Harry's absolutely fantastic, mega enthusiastic one-year-old dog bounding around the house. Kind of interested as, as if to say, like, who are these people and can I listen to the stories? That That's the way I took it anyway. Look, just to emphasize what we said at the beginning, if you've enjoyed the big interview, if you've enjoyed Darren Fletcher, Jamie Carragher, Gary Neville, Gordon Strachan, Moyes, Kevin Bridges, whichever one you've enjoyed, it's in your hands to make it continue for another year. You all say you listen with great enjoyment, whether it's relaxing, whether it's cutting off from the world, going to work, in the gym, walking the dog. Nearly a million listens we're coming up to now. That signifies that it's worth saving. It's in your hands. If you're thinking about getting on board and becoming part of The Big Interview, please do it right now. This podcast, The Big Interview, is produced by me, Graham Hunter, and Backpage, edited by the sensationally talented Alex Aidy. The music you always hear is by Beer Jacket. Go and experiment. Find more from Beer Jacket. They are well full of ability. Thanks for listening. There'll be another one, part two with Harry, along in a couple of days. Talk to you then. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.